Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the radio show that really is heard all around the world. And uh, if you're listening for the first time, here on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we tell it exactly the way it is. We bring entrepreneurs and small business leaders the latest information every week on what's happening in business in the United States and throughout the world. And we're very proud of the fact that we're the number one radio show globally for entrepreneurs. Now, there's been a lot of speculation recently about the new iWatch, which is what people are predicting that Apple will call their wearable gadget. And uh, they're saying that it could be a $17 billion business. I was going to look up and see how big watch companies have been in the past, but I'll bet they're nowhere near $17 billion. The uh, tip is that it won't do anything, won't worry about fitness, you know, how many paces you've taken or whatever, but will focus on health, blood pressure, hydration, sensors, heart rate, all that sort of stuff. And it would be a personal health guide, a monitor, and it would uh, possibly lead to healthcare savings thanks to its role in boosting preventative care. So look out. The iWatch may just be around the corner and a new $17 billion business for Apple. Now, have you wondered um, how some, you know, some struggling startups seem to get bought for millions and tens of millions and even hundreds of millions of dollars by a Facebook, a Yahoo and a Google, while others seem to just struggle along until they fail or until the company breaks up out of frustration. So do these companies get bought due to luck or it's because that their um, product is so much better than other startups or is it because of who they know, how, how connected are they, they are? Now, Josh Miller dropped out of Princeton and founded Branch. Along the way, he built a network of seasoned advisors such as Twitter co-founders, uh, Evan Williams, Biz Stone, and Facebook recently bought Branch for $15 million after it had pivoted a number of times. Interesting. Stamped, an app founded by for- former Google staffers, was acquired by Yahoo after Marissa Meyer, who coincidentally was at Google, became CEO. So, mm, in those cases, you'd have to say that who they know, who they knew or know, made a big difference. So, is it luck, fantastic products, or who they knew that attracted the millions of dollars that they got. 
Now, Business Insider asked a number of startup executives which they thought was the most important, building a network or building a strong product. Everyone interviewed, everyone. All the CEOs thought both were important, but many felt the personal networks were much more important than the product. Dan Porter, who you might remember sold his former company to Xenia for more than $200 million, thinks it's a combination of who you know and, importantly, who knows you under a certain threshold. So usually people who acquire these companies are trying to um, add a team. Often there's a great team of people in these startups, so they want to just acquire a team, or they want to add the technology to, a, to their suite of products, or they just simply want to get rid of a competitive risk. So who you know in a larger company can determine whether or not your startup gets acquired. Now, Josh Abramson, a very successful guy who created Busted Teas and College Humor and Vimeo, sold them all to Barry Diller's IAC, and he believes that building something great is the most important. But who you know is also extremely important. He said, you won't get a deal just because you know the right person. But again, reinforcing what Dan said, if people don't know you, you won't get a deal either. Nobody is going to buy you without a strategic reason for doing so. So not only do you have to have, you need people inside the business that are going to champion you, the, the business who you want to inquire you. Jacob Mullins is the CEO of Exit Round. Now, they're an interesting company because they connect large companies with startups and engineer um, takeovers. And he's a firm believer that who you know is more important than what you build and for three major reasons. Firstly, getting acquired requires internal champions in the acquiring company. So people in the company that you want to acquire you need to know who you are and go singing your praises and championing your cause. And they've got to be a C-suite executive or the GM of business unit. Um, and they've got to build the business case why somebody should acquire you. It doesn't just happen. I know so many people who think that if you build it, they will come. Ain't true. If you build it, you then have to work hard to make sure that you know people in the organization and those people understand why you need to be acquired and they champion you. Secondly, networking helps you meet buyers early. So achieving an exit is a relationship building process. If you rush it, you limit your opportunity. And thirdly, networking helps you figure out if a larger company will be the right fit for you before it's too late. Because there's nothing worse in having and being acquired and then having to commit yourself to the company, to the new company, for as long as they want, and sometimes it can be years, and then find out the fit isn't there. People in your team start leaving, and you end up leaving a hell of a lot of money on the table. So summing it all up, 
for deals under a hundred million, it definitely matters who you know and who knows you. For deals over a hundred million, you have to have a really serious business. So if you listen to this program, you're probably aware of the fact that I speak to corporations all over the world on change, leadership and marketing, and in fact, all things business. And, uh, you know, the week after next, I'm speaking engagements in Louisiana or Alabama and Tennessee, and I'm really looking forward to that trip. So speaking's fun, and apart from paying well, it also increases your profile and brings in a considerable amount of consulting work. So the more people you speak to, the more people know about you, the more people um, respect you and think you're talented, the more likely they are to hire you for whatever you do best. So I find it ridiculous that, you know, some people say, you know, I'm less afraid of dying than I am of public speaking. I mean, what sort of logic is that? (laughs) I just don't get it. And I meet people all the time who say, oh, mate, I could never do what you do. Of course you could. It's really, it's really easy. It's, it's just like having a conversation with a dozen people. Because you can't, so when you get up there, you can't see more than the first few, a few rows anyway. The lights are in your eyes. So it's easy to do. Anybody can do it. But it does take preparation. You know, before I get up and give a speech to a corporation, it might take me a couple of days of crafting the presentation so that I'm really communicating with the audience about what they want to hear. So you don't just walk out there and off the top of your head spew forth all this information. You do have to plan it. And to be effective, you know, you need to be credible and you're Experience in business gives you that credibility. People like to hear from people who are real, who've been at the coalface. So if you really think that you've got a message to tell, then people really do want to hear it. And the second thing that's important is you've got to have emotional appeal. Don't forget that every decision is made emotionally and audiences are no different. So if you want to connect emotionally with your audience, and if you do connect emotionally, then you'll be extremely effective. And thirdly, you need to back up any claims that you make in your presentation, because people need to know that your message is derived from reliable sources. You can't just stand up there and make up stuff. So, and if you've got reliable sources, then that third party endorses your experience and your credibility. Now, you know, I've often talked to people about the structure of a presentation. You know, you're really telling the audience a story. You begin by starting, you know, what you're going to talk about, a bit like a book. You have an index and you have maybe a, a, um, an opening chapter that sets the scene. Then you um, speak about giving the detail of of what you've just outlined. You tell your story and finally you sum up what you've told them and what the lesson is or the message to take away from that presentation is. Now, you also need to remember that people have got an attention span of a gnat. So, you know, people sit there and attentive listen for probably no more than five or six minutes. 
Now, if you're doing a 90-minute presentation, you know, and you're entertaining for the six minutes and then not entertaining for the next 84, you are going to be a really bloody boring speaker. So you need to punctuate your presentation with stories. You know, some of them poignant, some of them funny. Go down in the audience, try to involve them as much as possible. Modulate your voice, be loud, be quiet, draw them in and uh, vary the mood just to give your presentation some excitement. How many times have you been to a speech presentation or a meeting where the speaker just drones on and drones on and drones on and you're bored to death? The result, you know, their message is lost. It doesn't matter what they said. It's lost because they can't maintain that audience interest. So it's also another help is some um, visual aids. You know, PowerPoint's the most popular. I use PowerPoint. Um, you've got to be careful with PowerPoint because uh, you need to use as few words as possible. Don't go out there with a PowerPoint with a million words on it. Remember the advice from the great Steve Jobs who said, you know, the ideal number of words on a PowerPoint is one. Remember all those original ads and things he did? One word. Fantastic. You know, he just replaced 14 different pieces of equipment in his phone and his ad had one word. Um, so PowerPoints are great, but, you know, if you can juggle or you can do backflips or you can do anything, set fire to yourself, <laughs> Providing you can find a way to make it relevant to the story you're telling, it all helps the presentation and gets people involved. Now, if you can speak to an audience and capture their attention, whether it's the local chamber of commerce at a wedding or a business meeting, no matter what it is, you'll find that your stature will grow exponentially. People will think you're interesting. People will want to talk to you. They admire someone who can really get their message across and they will seek you out. So if you master the art of public speaking, it'll not only change your business, but it'll change your life. People often ask me also whether, you know, is it worthwhile attending something like Toastmasters? Well, I always say no, because I find that, you know, a Toastmaster speaker has exactly the same structure as every other Toastmaster speaker. And instead of being natural in themselves, you end up sounding like a trained monkey. How about that Super Bowl? <laughs> wow. I mean, some people said it was a lousy game because it was one-sided. I sat glued to it. I loved it. And um, Seattle was devastating. That, that they, were, they were the best defensive team I think I've ever seen. But my favorite part was the interview with Russell Wilson, quarterback, who I think is fantastic, where he said his motivation was the words of his late father who used to say to him, why not you? So he'd look at people who were successful and say, why not me? I can do that. We can all do it. The difference is how badly you want to do it. You want to do it badly enough, you can do it. And as we frequently discuss, this show's about entrepreneurs, and I particularly love stories about Generation Next. They're people between like 14 and 30 or something like that. They actually get off their ass and do something. They're out there creating businesses. Uh, so today I want to acknowledge a couple more young entrepreneurs. Leanna Archer 
was just nine years old, nine, when she began bottling and selling her own hair pomade to friends and family. She based it on her Haitian great-grandmother's secret recipe. Now, Leanne's list of all natural hair products has expanded to include a variety of hair cleansers, conditioners, and treatments. And now, at the ripe old age of 17, she handles more than 350 online orders a week and generates more than $100,000 in revenue each month. She's the CEO of her own company and has been recognized by prominent business publications like Forbes and Success Magazine. She has even started the Leanne Archer Education Foundation, which builds schools and safe learning environments for underprivileged children in Haiti. Wow. Started at nine, 17, big business, building schools and learning environments. Go, girl. Love it. How about 12-year-old Jaden Wheeler and 11-year-old Amaya Selmon? who started making snow cones with a blender and an extension cord in their Memphis, Tennessee home two two years ago when they were 10 and 9, respectively. 10 years old and 9 years old. Since then, they've upgraded quite a bit and they are now the youngest food truck owners in Memphis. In a Huffington Post feature on Cool Kids Snow Cones, Jada and Amaya explained that their mother purchased the truck for them, an old beaten up truck which they painted after seeing how successful their small business had become. They stationed the truck in local parks and at private events and it now offers hot dogs, nachos and more than 20 snow cone flavours. And Jaden has big plans. Now bearing in mind Jaden is 12 years old, he says... Our goal with the truck is to franchise it so I don't have to work when I grow up. He's bloody 12. (laughs) What does he mean by not work? He says, you know, this kid started his own business when he was 10. Jaden continued, what I mean is that by not work is I want to work smart instead of working hard. (laughs) He's bloody 12. Love this kid. So how many teens can say that a multinational corporation purchased their company and made them millionaires? Very few. But Nick Deloisio, it's one of them. The 17-year-old entrepreneur is the tech prodigy behind Sumly, a summarization app that um, algorithmically creates summaries of news articles optimized for iPhone. At 15, he received backing from angel investors to develop his technology. And in March 2013, at age 17, Yahoo bought his company for $30 million. Go, kids. So you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And the whole reason we're here is to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business... Please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or emailing you directly. We're the number one show in the world for entrepreneurs, radio show. So no matter where you are on the planet, we really do appreciate you listening to us. Now, last week I did a great interview with Arshed and Amira from Spirit of Arabia, which is a fantastic, sophisticated range of apparel. And I said 
in one instance they were from Saudi Arabia. I apologise. I know them well, and they're, of course, from Dubai. So I was wrong. Bad boy. Today, though, I'm speaking with Constant Friedman. She's the Managing Director of REACH, a technology accelerator program, and I'm sure that's going to be of interest to all entrepreneurs. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the fabulous Voice America business, and I'll be back with Constance in just a moment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is a segment of the show where we talk to people who are they're taking initiatives that can help entrepreneurs be more successful. Now, this segment obviously helps the guests to promote themselves, but that's not really what it's about. We try to ask questions that will provide answers that are of benefit to the greater entrepreneur community. And we try to find out what it is that makes these people tick, what makes them successful, what makes them do the things that they do. Because we want to inspire you to get up off the couch and have a go. The world benefits a lot more from entrepreneurs than it does if you go out and get a nine-to-five job. So what we want to do is have you take away from this interview experience information that will make your journey in business a bit less challenging. It's tough enough as it is. Everything we can learn helps. And as you know, this program is all about saluting and assisting entrepreneurs no matter what the endeavour or what the size of the endeavour, so that we can emulate these success stories and encourage others to get out and have a go. Now, one of the major tools available to entrepreneurs today are accelerators. Now, what accelerators do is they support startups and early-stage businesses with funding, with mentoring, with training, um, and they usually do that for a period of time. Uh, it's often three months. And they do that in exchange, usually, for equity. 
Um, you know, there's traditional business incubators, but they're often government-funded and they generally take no equity and they focus on um, a different type of um, enterprise, usually usually biotech or medical technology or clean energy, that sort of thing. We're accelerators, they're privately funded and essentially focus on um, mobile internet startups, new different tech. Now, Constant Friedman, first of all, she's a very clever little person. She has um, an MBA from Harvard and other degrees. She um, has a fantastic experience. She's the managing director of Second Century Ventures Fund, which, manage, which manages all aspects of the and she manages all aspects of the fund from cultivating investment opportunities to helping portfolio companies achieve their strategic goals. Now she's also the vice president of strategic investments for National Association of Realtors where she also assesses key strategic investment initiatives. And as well, she's the managing director of REACH, Second Century Ventures Technology Accelerators Program. See, I told you she was smart and busy too, I would suggest. Um, she got an entrepreneurial background in venture capital and in technology and, of course, in real estate. Um, being an investor at Q-Ball, an early and growth stage investment firm, focused on the information services and Consumer sectors, Constance helped to find form, my mouth won't work today, Q-Ball Capital and played an integral role in all aspects of Q-Ball's investment process. She's got seven years operating experience at technology startups, including Molecular and Account4.com. She takes an active role in all of the SCV portfolio companies, including DocuSign, If By Phones, Simform and Excelligent. Some of these names are great, aren't they? She's an advisor on the Corporate Venture Group Advisory Board at the National Venture Capital Association and is on the board of overseers of From the Top. Hi, Constance. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. God, that's all a mouthful, isn't it? Some, some of these names are great. I... I I'm always amazed at how I think the creativity that goes into some of these names is better than the creativity that goes into the product. Can you explain to us just what an accelerator is and uh, what what its um, aim is? Sure. I, I'll start by, well, I'll talk a little bit about traditional accelerators and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how, how we're pretty different from the traditional accelerator. Okay, great. So initially, you know, the, the traditional accelerator that you, that, that there is, as you mentioned, are generally a three month program. And the aim of it is, is generally, uh, real, very early stage companies who are looking to get matched up with uh, a venture and entrepreneurial community that can help them formulate their business plan and ultimately raise money. Right. And it's generally a very intense three-month process where um, everybody is sequestered into a room, so to speak, and and um, heads down, and they, they learn a ton from the uh, from the program managers and from the mentors that are associated with the program. And the ultimate goal of those accelerators is, is, as I said, generally to, to raise capital at the end of it. And often um, a whole bunch of small businesses or startup businesses, they're all lumped in together and there's a lot of collaboration and, and um, uh, cooperation between them, right? 
That's right. Um, but you know, oftentimes in most of these accelerators, the companies are pretty different from one another. So yeah. while, while they can learn from each other in terms of um, collaboration and, and, and in, almost in an academic way, uh, a lot of them don't have a lot of cross collaboration from a business standpoint. Right. There's not necessarily business development opportunities there. Yeah, and I guess that that's a little bit of how, you know, there's a number of ways of how, how reach differs. Uh, as, as you said, um, reach is associated with the National Association of Realtors, and NAR is the uh, largest trade association in the world. There's more than a million members. Um, there's, uh, it, it really is the, the voice of real estate. And REACH is uh, created by the strategic investment arm of the National Association of Realtors. And really, it was to help early-stage companies launch into the real estate vertical. So it's not just about real estate companies, real estate technology companies. It's really about any technology company that that, that could take advantage of that vertical. So uh, when when I say that vertical, I mean the million realtors that are in there, the 12 million consumers that buy homes every, 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 every year, and, and this yep. is just in the U.S. alone, um, the tr- it's a trillion-dollar industry and $7 billion of ad spend just in the U.S. real estate market. Right. And so there's a tremendous amount of uh, technology and uh, businesses that can, uh, that can leverage that, those, you know, that market. And so what REACH does is it, it picks up tr- where many of the traditional accelerators leave off in that the ultimate goal is not necessarily to help the startups raise money, it's, but rather it's to help the startups actually gain customers. Right. And our philosophy is that by growing the company, by obtaining customers, money comes easily. And, in fact, that's been the case. Seventy percent of our uh, companies have raised half a million or more either during the program or within one to two months of completing the program as a testament to their success. Wow, that's great. So, yeah, and, um, and you know, primarily the, the types of companies that we generally work with, they're a little bit later stage than the early, early accelerators. So the companies typically have a product that they're ready to push to market. And our education is less about startup one-on-one stuff. It's more about Here's how the industry really works, and who your target customers really are, and how you how you address them, how you um, meet them, and how you target them. And then our mentors, we definitely have people from the venture and entrepreneurial community, but we primarily focus on um, about 200 mentors that are business leaders and uh, digital leaders in the real estate industry. Right. And then our exposure is really again um, about around a we have a nine month program where we have the companies go to uh, meet at various industry events, and it's all about getting them in front of their potential customers. So how many um, uh, startups would you um, incubate, or whatever the word is, a year? Six to ten. Six to ten a year, okay. Um, Because, you know, if you can get, what would you say, 75% get funding of half a million, that's incredible because I think the industry average – is only about five percent of all the companies out there that are looking for funding get funded. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, we were um, we we were very yeah we're very excited about um, the ability or the the success that our class has had um, within the real estate space alone. 
five of the seven companies last year landed major deals with the major brands in the industry. And in that, just along with its other uh, customer and revenue growth that the companies were able to um, show during the course of the program is what was what 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 would allow them to be able to raise funding easily. So, how do you determine um, who you're going to um, who you're going to work with? I'm sure you get far more applications than you do um, than you accept. So, how do you determine who fits and who doesn't? It's a great question. We have a fairly rigorous process. As I said, we like to see companies that have uh, technology applicability, not necessarily just real estate, but in multiple industries of which where real estate is one of them. So our criteria is that there has to be something that makes sense for real estate because that's how we're going to be able to help them most. Sure. But we like to see companies that have um, a broader, broader, broader uses than just that one um, industry. So that's one of our criteria, and you know, the the other ones are: um, do we is there a viable product out there, one that that's a shipping product, and that we can put in front of the members of NAR on day one? Right. Is there a good team, you know, viable team that we think can really execute on our strategies? And and we you know we we take a look and and see you know are these solutions actually something that we think can be uh, can be you know, are interesting for the for the space, right. and you know once we once we narrow down to the companies that we think are are good, we also vet them by our mentors and advisors, who, as I mentioned, are some of the top leaders in the in the industry, um, as well as venture and entrepreneurial communities, and we we vet them a little bit with uh, with those groups, so that by the time we get to our selected companies, we feel like they have the most chance for success. How much of a role? Um, does the entrepreneurs looking in the entrepreneurs' eyes and measuring their drive and enthusiasm have, and their energy have in um, making the decision to include them? They absolutely have to have all of that. <laughs> it goes without saying. So yeah, we definitely how, how the interview. Well, uh, you know, if they're not excited about their business, how can we be? Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, we need to see that they uh, they eat, breathe, and sleep their business, and um, that they are going to be yeah you know, that they they want to make this grow as much as we want to help them make it grow. Now, the funding that you get for uh, does most of the funding come from within your membership or your your base, or do you also attract uh, funding from outside? Um, they uh, both. So we we. Each of the companies that raise money uh, during uh, of our class, they uh, they all had outside investors, and in addition to uh, investments that we might have made in them, so we so so both. Okay, um, so who brought up the idea to combine accelerators and real estate? I mean, I, when I first thought about it, I thought I don't quite get the fit because I guess I think of real estate in that very traditional um, form rather than something somebody that's really interested in um, in developing new technology. And, and um, it, to me, initially, I didn't see the connection. Yeah, so the, the idea really initially came from, I, I mentioned that... Uh, 
that this that the NAR has a strategic investment arm called Second Century Ventures. Yes. And which I, I launched for them in uh, early '09. And the fund itself is focused on companies that can innovate in and around real estate. And you know, the idea is how can we help benefit the members of NAR by using technology and how can we make it a better a better home buying and selling experience for the customers um, in the industry overall. Right. And so we in, in Second Century Ventures we invest in companies that are generally two to twenty million in revenue or have a significant customer base. There's a real proof of concept in the marketplace. Sure. And companies that that fit that bill are uh, companies like DocuSign, which is an e-signature company. Yep. Again, that's a very um, a good example of companies that we look at that have applicability elsewhere, but real estate being being a big one. And you know, that's a company that really helps the efficiency of a transaction go much more smoothly. Right. Um, we have a company called SimForm, which is a um, data backup system and you know, again once you interact with all the information that's going back and forth in, in the in the industry, you want to make sure all that information is backed up and they have a great solution for that. Right. Um, but so in general that so we have we have five different companies that we've invested in over the years and and what we realized in general is that our pipeline of the pipeline that we had, there were a number of high potential startups that uh, we talked to but that didn't meet the threshold for investment out of the fund. Right. And so what we decided was that by creating this program reach, we could work with these early stage companies instead of turning them away. We could actually create a program in which we work with them, put them through, a, a, you know, this education and training and exposure piece and really get a sense of is the industry reacting well to these companies and, you know, kind of do the companies really um, – really find this as an industry that they want to work in. And so by by creating this nine-month program and, and putting them through it, we as, as the venture fund can get more comfortable with uh, with investing in a company that maybe would, didn't meet the, the investment threshold on its own, right. but yet we've had the opportunity to see how the industry reacts to it. And likewise, the companies get comfortable that they want to work with us as a strategic investor because this is, in fact, a vertical that they feel is, is strategic to their own business. Right. Well, what's the main thing that um, entrepreneurs take out of being with the accelerator? Is it? I find that most, well, not most. I find that a lot of entrepreneurs um, are brilliantly clever and have fantastic ideas, but have absolutely no knowledge of how the real world marketplace works. <laughs> so, how? What's the main thing they take out of it? Is it? much deeper knowledge of, of what they need to do to be successful? The, yeah, I would say if you looked at our, our website, the NARReach.com website, there's video, video testimonials, for lack of a better word, from the companies that uh, went through our program. And I think the thing that they will say over and over again is the ability to understand how to execute into the marketplace. Right. And what do I mean by that? You know, they, it's from talking to 150 different uh, business leaders in the space, decision makers in the space, they were able to get direct feedback from them on their products and, and their promotions and their, their business plans, and, be able, and they were able to tweak them to actually be um, perfect for the marketplace. Right. And, 
and all those people were potentially customers as well, and, and there was business development opportunity that was developed from that. And so I think that the network that we have and the type of people that we connect them with, um, and again, the focus on building customers, it was the primary thing that they um, you know, that they were able to get out of our program. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So I'm a, I'm a startup, and I'm looking around for an accelerator. What, what should I look for? What do I need to look for in an accelerator? It depends on what stage you're in as a startup. I would say that there's... If you're if you're at the idea stage, you don't have much of a product or a proof sure. of concept yet. You're at the idea stage. You should look for a, a an accelerator program that can really help you formulate your your business plan. That can help you figure out how many different pivots you need to make to have your idea actually solve the problem that you're aiming to solve. Right. And that you should look for one that has a good reputation and solid mentors that are going to help you achieve that goal. If you're a little bit later on, and, and I think that primarily for us, the companies that are looking for us aren't necessarily looking for accelerators because, as I mentioned, we, we pick up where mo- many accelerators leave off. And that you know, if you're looking for, for us, it's a, companies that now they have a little money or they have a little traction and you know, maybe they just graduated from a, from a three-month accelerator or they graduated last year from one of those. Yeah. And the issue is now what? How do I actually execute into the marketplace? How do I really grow my customer base? How do I actually start obtaining those revenues? How do I actually get, um, get people to use my product? And, and that's where we can really be of help, uh, as I mentioned, being strategic and having the um, million member base that we that we have to help launch the companies into, um, the, I would say whether they're looking at something in, in real estate or you know looking at something in a, in a different vertical, there's a few other strategic verticals out sure, uh, accelerators sure. w- within other verticals out there. But that's what they should be looking for is people who can really be strategic to help their growth. So, what level of equity? Does an accelerator traditionally take? Not necessarily you guys, but what, how, what? What's the sort of formula there? Yeah, I've seen anywhere from um, something like two percent all the way up to ten percent. Right. And a lot depends on um, you know, what they, you know, what what the accelerator gives back, and that can be in terms of capital or can be in terms of um, strategic benefits or uh, other means, but. Um, in general, that's a range. So, you know, I think it, it generally ends up, you know, I think that the average is probably somewhere around 5 or 6%. And in total terms, um, not just necessarily cash invested, but in total terms, what sort of value investment is there in, in a, a program with you guys? What sort of value investment? So... Yeah. The, what, what would your total, if you could put a dollar value on your total investment in the company, what 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 would that be? What sort of range would that be? Uh, for their company's investment into the program, um, and I think that the companies, the value that they get out of the program is really, uh, I, and a lot of the companies would say it was it was invaluable. Yeah. Um, yeah, from not only from I guess the customer acquisition, but also. 
you know, the amount of marketing exposure that we do in the program is um, quite significant. It's it's dollars that any startup would not be able to afford to advertise or market on their own. Yeah. And it's and 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 we also have a um, something called an insight panel where we had 600 practitioners in the in the industry do a uh, basically pilot the company's products throughout uh, three months of the of the program as well to give direct feedback on how the uh, products work for them. And so, you know, being able to, yeah, I guess I've, I've never, we haven't done, sat down and done the exercise of the actual uh, dollar value on promotion and, and testing and piloting and um, networking and, and things like that that the companies got out of it. But some of the things that the companies say about it was um, not only did, well, each of the companies, each of the companies significantly increased their revenue. So companies that already had a significant base every single one of them at least doubled their revenues and those that, that didn't have much of a revenue when they started, they were, you know, something much higher. They all had a very sizable customer base once we, once they completed the program. Uh, and in addition, um, the, uh, you know, the kinds of things that, that I love to hear that I was so excited to hear at the end of the program was, you know, one of our, one of our CEOs said this was the best business decision I ever made. Right. And so, you know, these are the kinds of things that uh, it's hard to subscribe, subscribe a specific number to it, but um, but uh, I think that each of the companies would say that it was uh, absolutely an invaluable uh, program for them. Well, you're teaching them the real nitty-gritty of business, aren't you? I mean, it's, all, it's one thing to develop a product, but it's another thing to be able to handle it when the rubber meets the road, and that's where the hard part is. And... Um, I think that experience is, for most um, entrepreneurs, would be extraordinary because that's where their weakness is. So after they, they're with you guys for a period of time, um, what involvement do you have ongoing with them? Do you have a board seat? Do you do they? What's what what happens ongoing? It depends on the. It, it depends. So for on an informal basis, for every single one of the companies, they'll always be an alumni of our program. So right. we they'll always be able to say they're a you know they're a 2013 reach participant, and um, and of course the relationships that they developed over the course of the program they uh, they they will always have. Um, on an ongoing basis, we do things every year. Like we have a portfolio company summit where we bring all of our investment companies together and. We look at common challenges and common themes within the industry. You know, most of the companies are, uh, all the companies are doing different things, but they have this real estate industry in common as one of the verticals that they're interested in. So it provides a lot of um, business development opportunities, and our alumni companies are all welcome to uh, be part of that. We ask all of our alumni companies to become mentors themselves into the next year's program or the following year's program. Right. And as we go on our um, make our industry uh, events each year, or, I'm sorry, each month throughout the class, they're uh, included in our in our dinners and events and, and mentor uh, receptions and, and things like that. Uh, with some of the companies where we, as Second Century Ventures, makes an actual investment in the uh, in the companies, then the relationship becomes more formalized sure. with things like board seats and, um, and uh, you know, other relationships. In some cases, the companies 
could form a relationship with National Association of Realtors directly through a Realtor Benefits Program or some other uh, some other partnership program as well. And these are things that we uh, help facilitate if there seems to be a mutual interest as well. Constance, I think it's a fantastic idea. I, I think um, showing entrepreneurs how to actually make money out of what they've created is the critical part of of, of um, entrepreneurs' development, and that's where most of them fall down. I I would love to be able to join a program like that. I mean, I've got so much I need to learn. But thank you very, very much. <laughs> You let me know when you have that startup in mind that uh, that we can help you with. Okay. Well, thank you very, very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you'd like to know more about um, REACH and how you can um, apply to be part of this program, go to N-A-R REACH, so N-A-R-REACH.com. So N-A-R-REACH.com, all the information's there. This is Bob Pritchard. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I will be back with you in just a moment. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. No bullshit radio show where we tell it exactly the way it is. We want to thank you for uh, the great response that we've been receiving from you from people all over the planet for our email segment where we answer your business questions. You know, I think the reason this segment's popular is that no matter what business you're in, whether you're a, a plumber or a painter or run a store, um, even though we may be answering an email from the owner of a company who makes window frames, the um, the answer will probably also apply to you in your business. So, and don't forget, if I do read your email on air, and I can only read a fraction of the ones I get, I'll send you out a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition. And uh, this book will give you the 15 keys that you absolutely, unequivocally have to follow in order to be successful. My first email today comes from Ellen Marshall of Solcom in England. Alan writes, Dear Bob, picked up a copy of your book and I'm really enjoying it. Now, there's a different language used in marketing and I want to make sure I really get what you're talking about. A few weeks ago, you referred to above-the-line advertising. What exactly does that mean? Alan, um, in, in business communication, um, above-the-line, through-the-line, below-the-line, they're all advertising techniques, I guess is the word you'd use. Um, 
above the line is targeted. It's your, it's your mass media. It's targeted to the audience at large through um, TV, radio, movies, print, you know, all that sort of stuff. Usually it's used for brand awareness. Below the line, it's um, it's a non-media, non-media communication like um, direct mail, email, printed media, all of that sort of um, communication. And it's, it's an incentive to purchase, to drive sales. And through the line is really a strategy using a combination of above the line and below the line. So I hope that helps. Um, since you've got a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, I will send you a copy of Marketing Magic, which features myself and 17 other great marketers. And I hope you enjoy it. I really enjoy it. My second email today comes from Paul Henderson from Fourth, Fort Worth, Texas. Paul writes, Dear Bob, I love your program. I began listening about six months ago, and you've been a terrific help to my business. Well, thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. I've implemented a number of things that I've spoken about, that you have spoken about, and my business has really grown. I also bought your audio book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, which I am enjoying very much. The audio book makes it so much bloody easier to listen. You can hop in the car and listen, and you spend a lot more time in your car than when you get home. You've got so many things to do, and at the office, you're supposed to work. Now, my issue is that there are a number of businesses in the Fort Worth area that are involved in a similar business to mine. I would imagine that most potential customers out there see my business and my competitors being very similar, if not exactly the same. How do I differentiate myself and stand out? Thanks, Paul. Now, that's a question that everybody asks. I mean, I hear that 50 times a day. And um, the two critical things in running a successful business, the first is to differentiate yourself really clearly from the competition. And the second is providing awesome service, which in itself is differentiation. Now, there are three ways that you can differentiate yourself. The first is to position your business and your product as being different and superior to your competitors. So, I mean, even if it's not real, even if they're exactly the same, you, if you think about it, you really can position yourself as being different and superior. And, and to do this, you need to establish a consumer purchasing benefit that really hits your potential client's hot button. Now, don't forget that all decisions are made emotionally initially. They'll justify it pragmatically later. So, But initially, they're made emotionally. So if you can come up with an emotional connection with your client and the product, then that'll give you front-of-mind brand awareness and give you first recall, and therefore, you've got more chance to sell your product. Um and you need to be able to express your advantage over your competition in five or six words. You know, you don't have time for a paragraph. It's like an elevator pitch. It's like your elevator pitch. For example, um, in um, in New York City, I don't know how many um, pizza stores there are, but there's got to be, I don't know, 100,000 people who sell pizzas. And um, Domino's was able to differentiate itself from its competitors 
by the CPB 30 minutes or it's free. Now, when people were buying pizzas and getting them delivered, they wanted it fairly quickly. So, you know, you didn't want to, if your kids were hungry, you wanted to feed them fast. If you were watching the football, you wanted to get there while the game was on. So 30 minutes or it's free hit the major motivation why people wanted um, when they ordered take-home pizza or home-delivered pizza. They wanted it quick. So 30 minutes or it's free says fast. Doesn't say anything about pizza. So they didn't promise good pizza or hot pizza or extra pepperoni or didn't promise anything, really. They just told you it was going to get there quick. Uh, could have been a lousy pizza, just delivered fast. But they realised that it was the most important thing and um, people thought, well, pizzas are all about the same, but the fast delivery differentiated dominoes. So, I mean, we, we differentiated a um, children's foot, a shoe store. We filled it with sand and beach-type toys and... Um, so kids would want to come along and play in the sand and build sand castles and do all that. So it was a fun place to go and try on shoes, whereas by comparison, if you go to Walmart, this is boring for a kid. I mean, it's boring as batshit for an adult. So it's seriously boring for a kid. So if you can go along and get your shoes and you could also get to play in the sand and build sand castles and do whatever, then that's much more fun. So the business boomed. Um despite the fact that the shoes were a little bit more expensive. Um, and that makes a difference. And if the kids want to go, then mum wants to go. So despite the fact the shoes were the same, um, we differentiated them by the environment, giving awesome awesome customer service and added, adding value to the transactions, you know, through helpful newsletters or in-store demonstrations or seminars or whatever, that'll also differentiate your business. You've got to give people something extra. You know, everybody can give good service, but you need to give great service. So they walk out of your premises going, wow, I love that place. I love coming in here. You know, it's terrific. And you will get business. Now, Paul, since you've um, got a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, we're always going to send, also going to send you Marketing Magic, which features Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson and Robert Bly, and I'm sure that you'll enjoy it. It's got some great information. And we here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we're all about helping small business. That's our whole commitment to life. And also in our consulting business, if you're listening and you need some extra push to get that business of yours up and really successful, keep us in mind. Now, don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at bobpritchard.com. Sign up for my newsletter, which will be coming out this next week. Email me, tweet me, become my friend on LinkedIn, and tell me what it is that you want me to talk about. Thanks for listening to the world's most popular radio show for entrepreneurs. We love doing it. This is Bob Pritchard on the fabulous Voice America business. And I look forward to being with you again at the same time next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.